And we're going to look at intimacy tonight in the full aspect of who we are as people. We are body, soul, and spirit. We are triune in our nature. We have a physical body, and there's an intimacy with that. We have a soul, and that intimacy should be with our soul. And we have a spirit, and our spirit should be just as intimate in that relationship as well. Um, So there are two key elements to uh, intimacy. One is trust. That makes sense, doesn't it? And the second is time. Time and trust is what builds intimacy. You can't have intimacy if you don't spend time. And Jackie said that very thing uh, while we were up here. God just wants us to spend time with him. And everything I'm talking about for your marriage has the same relationship in your salvation, your relationship to Jesus, because you're his bride. And he just longs for us to spend time with him. And guess what? The more time you spend with someone, the more you will trust them. Yeah. Yeah because you know them better. These two elements are key to intimacy, trust and time, trust and time. So uh, there was a movement back uh, years ago that said, you really don't need to spend that much time with your kids, you just need quality time. There's a big difference. So if you spent quality time with your kid, you know, maybe an hour or two a week that has quality to it, that's better than spending eight hours a day with them. That's a lot, that is not true. It's not true. Of course, it's good to have quality time, but children don't measure quality. They measure quantity. They want to feel you. They want to be near you. They want you, and it's the same with your mate. Thanks for spending a half hour with me this week. I'd like to have you seven days a week. So really, we need to spend time with each other. And so we spend, you know, 10-minute devotional in the morning with Jesus, and then we think about him when we say goodnight. That's not enough, is it, to build trust? And how many of you know that we need to really build trust in these last days? And God wants intimacy. And the key to gaining intimacy with trust in time is the activity of bonding. Bonding is essential. And bonding is what is within us that is built in us to build that strong covenant love. And we need to learn how to bond physically, bond emotionally, intellectually with our soul, and bond with our spirits. And uh, I think of uh, this shoelacing. Now, um, for me, when I see that kind of lacing, I think of figure skates. Does anybody remember figure skates, right? And so uh, it's a happy, sad memory for me because uh, I grew up in St. Clair Shores, hockey town, right? All my friends had hockey skates, but not me. No, my parents gave me figure skates. Embarrassing. So while all my buddies came out in their hockey gear and their bower, oh, there's the hockey man right there, and all the bower skates and the sticks, you know, I came out with my toe and my figure skates. But one thing I remember about skates is you had like, gazillion uh, things to tie and bind up and bind up because after a half hour, you were, if you weren't any good like me, you're skating on your ankles. So you had to bind them up, bind them up, bind them up. Does anybody remember that? Well, that's the aspect of bonding. Bonding in more than one area will build a strength to you. So let me give you some ways to bond. 
Number one is bonding emotionally, sharing significant feelings and emotions. You know, when you watch a movie together and it moves you, you experience things together, you go to funerals together, you go celebrate weddings together, you go to parties together. Interacting emotionally will bond you together in that area. How about intellectual bonding, right? If one of you loves to read, the other maybe uh, could get engaged in the conversation of what they're reading. What's the story? Oh, you read that book? I'll rent the movie. Let's watch and see how it relates. Intellectual bonding. Go to an art museum. Go, go listen to music. Uh, uh, share ideas. Talk about things intellectually. So you're bonding mentally with each other. All right? These are key components to engaging intimacy. How about beauty? Expressing beauty, learning beauty, and uh, uh, looking at things that are beautiful together. That's a sunset out. Go for a walk and experience the beauty. Creative bonding. Learning to do things creative together. Recreational bonding. Play some games together. Go watch some games together. Cheer for your favorite team. You know, all of these aspects, when you do them together, they're shared activities. You might think that that's pretty simple, pretty lame, but what's happening is bonding is taking place, whether it's in your body, your soul, or your spirit. It's essential to do things together. I remember Pastor Charlie uh, was a sports fanatic. He was a coach of, I don't know, women's basketball, men's basketball, football, everything. And once he got married, his wife became the record keeper and the scorekeeper and the this. Kathy was everywhere Charlie was. And I remember asking her, are, are you that in love with football? And she said, no, but I am with him. And so she went wherever he went, and whether football was her thing or it wasn't, she was with him, and then they bonded over the team and over the, the season for what they were active in. These are essential bonding things. Bonding is a very important aspect to our identity. How about sharing work together? You both go out and work in the yard together. You work in the kitchen together. You clean the house together. It means you got company coming. All right. <laughs> you got uh, there's sexual bonding and we'll get into that in a few minutes there's even bonding over conflict how many of you know that sometimes when you work through a conflict you gain a greater interest in each other and ability with each other conflict is actually something that can be good it exposes something wrong and it challenges you to work through it and so we need to learn how to work with conflict crises is the same thing being committed to something spiritual bonding going to church together praying together i don't know how many couples that i've counseled and say do you pray together well no we don't pray together you know and we don't read together but if you would study the word of god if you would pray together well i'm a little embarrassed about my prayer life it's the two of you you better get past embarrassed right and and begin to learn to pray simply together communicating together these build intimacy and so as you're building intimacy, you are bonding. Now, bonding is a key component to trust and intimacy. And bonding happens. There are, there are people who are bonded to their environments. They grew up in a certain environment, and that always feels like home to them. There are people who have had negative experiences. And because of that negative experience, something happened in the bonding that, got, that made it dysfunctional. There's 
Uh, uh, How many of you know the story of the geese that bond to the first thing they see, right? You ever see the movie Fly Away Home? Little girl uh, uh, hatched these geese, and the geese bonded to her because there was a visual bond, an identity bond. They smelled, and they thought, that's mama. So she learned how to fly a glider, and they'd fly with her. The concept of bonding is within us as well. We bond to that which we have become attached to. You get attached to the wrong thing, you'll be bonded to the wrong thing. All right? It becomes a wrong bonding. There's all sorts of different bondings. And so if you grow up, you know, you're dealing with pornography and men, you're visually bonding with that kind of an image, it's going to impact your ability to bond with someone else. And same with women, if you're bonding to a particular image of what you grew up with in your home or a parent or whatever, we've got to rebond. We've got to work through emotional bonds and develop. It's a very, very strong thing that God put in us. And so this bonding develops through time and trust intimacy. Now the kind of intimacy we're going to look at tonight, there are three kind of intimacies. All right? The first one we're going to look at is physical intimacy. That's sexual intimacy in a marriage. Now, how many of you remember we're talking about holy sexuality? Holy sexuality has its root in covenant. How many of you remember the first night we talked about sexual intercourse? All right? You're all adults here. We can deal with this. And that was, in fact, the act of cutting covenant. Sexual intercourse is the the final step of cutting covenant and becoming one. I mean, I don't have to explain this to you, right? The two shall become one flesh, literally. We were designed to become one, right? You get this? All right, we figured that out? All right. Let me also say, let's be careful with with this discussion on sexuality. Uh, We could drop a bunch of jokes and this and that, but it's a real sensitive issue because it can, a lot of people are affected by this because of dysfunction or hurts or or, uh, molestations and different things that they've had or bad experiences. So let's be delicate with this issue of sexual bonding. It is an intense bonding. That's why God says it is reserved for a committed covenant. Now, what is sexual activity outside of marriage before anyone gets married? What's the Bible call that? Fornication, all right? And God says not to do that because you are bonding emotionally and with your soul to someone in whom you've not made commitment or covenant with. And I I don't care if you've been dating them for 13 years, 10 years, 2 years. If you're not in covenant relationship, you're violating and you're bonding prematurely. But I love them. Yeah, but there's no commitment there and your soul and your spirit are not rightly bonding and so things get off kilter and you begin to uh, misunderstand the cues and the depth of bonding you should have. How many people, and maybe some of you here tonight, bonded sexually with someone, but, uh, and, and you made that commitment with them sexually, but nothing else developed in the soul bond and in the spirit bond? Do you understand what I'm saying? How many of you know people that, that got bonded sexually, but they never progressed in the bonding of their soul and spirit with that person? 
See, so sex outside of marriage, God says, that, that violates the act of making covenant. Now, if you're in a covenant with someone in a marriage and you have an affair with someone else, what's that called? Adultery. So there is a holy sexuality. God sees human sexuality as very sacred. Do you know why? It has the power to make an eternal soul. Amen? All right, let's, let's uh, look at some of this. I'm going to give you three reasons for sexual intimacy, physical intimacy. Number one is it is actually a form of communication. It's communicating. What, what, did, the Bible, what did the Bible call when Adam had sex with Eve? Adam what? Knew his wife. Knowing. Why would you use the term to know for that act? Because it is a form of intimacy and knowing a person. You have to become vulnerable to be sexually involved with each other. And you have to bear yourself. And so there's a level of communicating, all right? And, and uh, there's a difference in our genders between men and women. If you, again, we know that physically, but also emotionally, sexually, and in that aspect that Men and women approach sexuality differently with a different power. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But you can find this in the Song of Solomon. You read the Song of Solomon. It's a beautiful love letter between uh, the bride and the groom. And as you're reading Song of Solomon, you read the, the woman and the woman's describing her heart for her love. And she says, I search for my uh, my heart of my lover, the door smells of his fragrance, I know he's in the room, I look for him, I belong to my beloved and he belongs to me. It's all heartfelt, it's all emotionally based where it's driven by romance and caring for the other. Then you switch over to what the guy has to say and Solomon says this, Oh, you are beautiful. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats moving down the slopes of Gilead. Your breasts are like two turtle doves. What's his expression? Physical. Because men are visually, visually, uh, how can I put it, uh, stimulated. Women are emotionally in tune with each other where men are visually stimulated. And so let me just give you a quick, a quick understanding of this of how the enemy has taken this. Two different forms of pornography are snaring people sexually. One form for men is the visual stimulation. It's everywhere. You get accosted with it. You know, I remember one time going to 7-Eleven and, and all I wanted was, was to buy a gallon of milk. And I, and I remember walking in the store and there is a five foot seven blonde girl with a bikini on trying to sell me suntan lotion in a cardboard cutout. It was like, whoa, look it, man. All I wanted, <laughs> just needed to get some milk. And I'm, yeah, okay. So I turned down the aisle to walk down the aisle and there's magazine after magazine, Sports Illustrated swimsuit model, this and that. And it's like, holy cow, I just needed to go get a gallon of milk. I got my milk, and I turned around to go to the counter. And what's in front at the counter? The hustler, the playboy, the this, the that. And I felt accosted. And men are constantly stimulated by visual stimulation. All right? And so uh, that's a good thing, but the enemy can use it as a bad thing. Right? Okay? 
And then, of course, a, a, a wife feels intimidated by all these airbrushed, photoshopped women, right? But the men have a heart for their wives, and they want to see you. They want to see you. You might think, I, I remember uh, counseling a couple where the woman would not allow her husband to see her naked because she had a really bad body image. She felt terrible about herself. So she would turn the lights off and go in bed, and, and he could come approach her with the lights off, and so he couldn't see her. That marriage didn't last, unfortunately. But you've got to understand where we're coming from. Men are stimulated emotionally. Well, women are stimulated, I'm sorry, men are stimulated visually. Women are stimulated emotionally. Now, how many of you know what women's pornography is? What's that? Yeah, romance novels, uh, soap operas, uh, those, those things that, in fact, I remember listening to an interview in a podcast one time from a guy that was being interviewed. Uh, one was a, a male pornographer guy and another was a female pornographer. And, and uh, the guy was talking about how he makes male pornography and then the other guy asked the lady, what do you mean female pornography? And she says, oh yeah, the, the, the genre is totally different. It's still showing all the sex, but it's got candlelight, it's got mood setting, it's got different music than a guy's porn and this and that and that. Now these are snares that the enemy gets because the enemy knows how you're wired. And so we have to understand how we're wired. And so if you want to develop a physical intimacy in your marriage, you have to understand what your mate needs and wants and work off of that, all right? All right, let's keep going. So uh, it's a form of communicating, and we need to learn how to communicate to each other. And uh, second purpose for sexual intimacy is procreation. Procreation. The two shall become one flesh. Now this literally, through the act of sexual intercourse, two individual human beings can make a new human being. That is a miracle. That is awesome. That is crazy. And that human being is an eternal soul. And so when we play loose with sexuality and, and it just becomes some kind of release or physical activity, uh, it, it, it cheapens the holiness and the power of what this can achieve. And that is procreation. The Lord has made them one flesh. In flesh and spirit they are His. And why one? Because He's seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself and your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Malachi 7, 1 through 5. God wants godly offspring and we can create children from this amazing and wondrous act of bonding in covenant to each other. To communicate the depth of devotion and the depth of love, it's a deep form of communication. Secondly, it has the power for procreation. And thirdly, it's an aspect of of recreation. God wants you to enjoy it. It's amazing. God didn't make us like animals. There isn't a season of heat like there are particular animals. It's not just breeding. But in fact, there's a level of intimacy and knowledge with it. And there's a beauty with it. Let me read you Webster's definition of sexual activity. Refreshment of... Uh, well, no. Here's the, 
Webster's definition of recreation. Refreshment of one's body or soul after work through activity that amuses or stimulates. God designed sex for ecstasy and deeper fellowship, satisfaction, and pleasure. Do you know why? So you'll do it again. So you'll go back to that. And you will celebrate your covenant of oneness. You'll remind yourself why we are united. To become one. And it's a reset button for you to come back to each other and know each other intimately and enjoy each other. Now, I can prove it biblically that it's part of recreation. Genesis 26, verse 8. I'll read you the King James. Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from the window and he saw Isaac sporting with his wife, Rebekah. That's recreation. They were sporting. This is a time when Isaac told the king of the Philistines that Rebekah was not his wife. She was so beautiful, he didn't want the king to kill him to take her. He said, that's my sister. And so Abimelech said, yeah, I like your sister. She's cool. Put her in my harem. And he's getting ready to marry her and take her on as one of his wives. But one night as he's out in the garden, he's on, on the terrace looking out, and he sees, oh, there's Isaac. Oh, there's his sister, Rebecca, and Isaac sporting with Rebecca. And I don't think that they were kicking the soccer ball around or, or throwing a frisbee. He was sporting with her. That means, in your newer translations, he was caressing her. And uh, so they were... Uh, having some levels of intimacy, and of course the king Abimelech said, that is not family activity. <laughs> Brother and sister, I don't think so. So it was, but they needed to come back together again for each other. Uh, I'll read you some, because some of you are squeamish about sexuality, and it's funny because I used to be as a kid, I mean you said sex and my, my face turned beet red. And nobody told me that when I became a pastor, I was going to have to learn sex therapy with couples and help people through this stuff. But I find this interesting because the Bible does, is not squeamish about it at all. Remember, I told you what happens at a marriage ceremony, didn't I? Uh, the, everybody would wait while the bride and groom would consummate and then bring out that bedsheet. Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Here again is the guy saying this to the wife. Your stature is like that of a palm tree. Your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I'm going to climb that palm tree and take hold of its fruit. That's human sexuality. That's a man enjoying his wife. And that's the activity of sexual intimacy. Now, there's a lot we can go into. I'm not going to, but I want to tell you about the different drives. And this will help you in your sexuality and in your intimacy if you would understand the two different drives of men and women. All right? We go at different paces. We have different drives in our intimacy and in our sexuality. And I told you about how men are visually stimulated. Women are emotionally stimulated. And we both have drives, but we typically have two different kind of drives. Men definitely have a sex drive. Men have a testosterone wash washing through their brain routinely throughout the day. Whether they like it or not, this hormone rages, it washes through their brain, and they have sexual thoughts during the day. Now you stimulate that with the billboard ads, the TV ads, the phone ads, and everything else, and it's easy for men to get hooked on visual stimulation. They've got to watch it, all right? 
And so women see this sex drive and they think, oh, come on. And, 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 but men truly are driven with a sex drive. Well, women have a drive too. And the estrogen drive is a drive for intimacy. Women have a desire for intimacy. And they want to have intimacy with someone they trust and spend time with, their mate. And they want to bond at an intimate level of communicating with deep emotion. Remember we talked about these gender differences. And so if we would care for each other, what typically happens though between men and women, men act out what they want from their vantage point to their wife. Instead of giving her the intimacy she wants, he's acting out sexually. And she's going like, come on. He'll walk out with his towel and drop it. It's like, oops, ha, ha, ha. She goes, put the towel on. But he's thinking, turn you on? No. If, and someone wrote a book called Sex Starts in the Kitchen, and the point was this, if you would help your wife in the kitchen, if you would help clean up in the house, if you would spend time with her, if you would talk to her about her day, if you would capture her emotionally, then she is drawn into an interest of deeper intimacy. Do you understand this? And so this is what can attract each of us if we would understand each other's drives. Men want to have sex and then they'll get intimate. A woman wants to get intimate and then she may want to move into sex. And so what happens? We've got to meet in the middle, don't we? We have to learn each other. And what's that going to take? Time and trust. This is what develops intimacy. Now, I'm not going to go into this uh, too deeply. We'll pass that on. And now let me go to a biblical sense of sexuality. Look at Paul. I'm, uh, I counseled uh, some young couples a while back about marriage, and they had no idea that this was in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-5. Since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. In other words, no sleeping around. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. What is that talking about? What is the marital duty? Sex, right. The husband should fulfill, now it's a duty. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, for a marriage, there should be the provision of food, the provision of clothing, and the provision of sexual intimacy. That is Judaism 101 for family covenant marriage. Husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Now catch this. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. This is absolutely radical language for this time period. Why is this so radical? It says the woman's body doesn't belong to her alone. That verse right there is giving a woman a right to her body. It belongs to her. Where the society that this was written in, the woman's body was the man's possession. It belonged to the husband. What Paul is saying is it it, it tweaks it just a little different, which gives dignity to each other's right to their own body. They're not slaves to the other person. 
So, a woman's body does not belong to her alone, but also to be shared for her husband. Same way with the man, his body doesn't belong to him alone, but is to be shared to his wife. He goes on and says, do not deprive each other sexually, except by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Where can the devil come in a marriage? A lack of sexuality. And without prayer. There are two things. There are two things that are absolutely necessary. The binding and the bonding physically, but what else does this introduce? A bonding what? Spiritually. Prayer is as intimate and essential as a sexual relationship in a marriage. Am I preaching this right? And he's saying, if you're not praying enough, you need to abstain from that sexuality so that you can get yourselves deeply engaged spiritually. But don't refrain from sexuality. Get back into having regular sex because the devil will get in either way on a marriage. So have a healthy balance. But folks, understand this. What are we talking about? Intimacy. Intimacy. A healthy sexual life is so that you're building physical intimacy. A healthy spiritual life is so that you're praying together spiritually. And that is going to build a covenant of intimacy. Amen? Amen. Second aspect of intimacy is soul intimacy. We're not just physical creatures, but we have a soul. And our soul is defined biblically as intellect, emotion, and will. That's the three parts that make up our soul. The Bible talks of our soul or our heart. And it's your intellect, your emotion, and your will. And so what we need to develop is an intimacy with each other's intellects. Communicating, talking, shared interests. I told you about bonding on all of those levels. Emotional bonding and bonding of the will. Learning to agree, learning to cooperate, and coming together. Now, I don't know if you can see this, but this is a chart for five levels of communication. Soul communication. And we need to bond at different levels. Let me take you through it real quick. Five levels. One is shallow, five is deep. Okay? So, uh, number one level of communication is basically information. Uh, On the chart it says hallway talk, right? It's the kind of talk like, how you doing? I'm all right, how you doing? All right. Hey, it's a nice day out, wasn't it? Nice day. This is the place men hang out in. Sometimes it's not even how you doing. It's like, hey. And that's enough. Hey. Yeah, I talked with my friend today. Second level of communication. And that's all right. How many of you do that? You know, I mean, the first time, I, you know, as soon as I get going, hi, babe, how you doing? How was your day? All right? It, it's a starter. Second one, reporter talk. We're just giving information. Yeah, uh, so yeah, it's a nice day. Yeah, in fact, uh, I think it's 70 degrees out. Or it reached like 74, 75 today. Kind of felt warm. It's been nice. Yeah, it was nice. I heard it's going to rain. Yeah, it's going to rain. Tonight it's supposed to rain. Tomorrow it's supposed to rain all day. 
hey, this is good stuff. Now we're really communicating, aren't we? Again, comfortable for men. Women are like, whatever. Because women, women just stay at number three. They just operate there. They're starting to talk about what's in their mind, what comes across their heart, what comes across their thoughts. I had to learn that whatever comes across my, my wife's mind comes out of her mouth. I had to learn this. It helped me immensely because I used to think that she was ordering me. No, really, because we'd sit there and she'd go, oh, you know, it's trash day. So how did I read that? Take out the trash. And so we'd, we'd have conversations. I had to learn this. And i go, I know it's trash day. I'll take it out. She goes, oh, well, I wasn't telling you to take it out. Oh. She said, I just thought of it. And so I learned, you know, a lot of times what she's thinking just comes out and is expressed. Men don't do that. Women do. Am I right? And so women are talking. They're immediately ready to talk. They're at that level. They're at level three. Women use twice the number, more than twice the number of words per day than a man uses. But a man's watching. So we communicate differently. Okay? And so what we want to get to is a level four. That's emotionally sharing how you feel about things. And so at a level four, you're starting to share your heart. What do you have to have? What two elements do you need to have to get to a level four? Trust and time. Takes time. Now, women, they could have had a conversation two weeks ago, and they see their friend at Kroger, and they go, it was Elvis. And she'll go, oh yeah. And you're the what? Oh, well, last week we were talking about a movie we saw and we couldn't remember who the star was. Oh. <laughs> right? Do you ever see how guys talk? Guys talk about a thing and they'll, they'll talk and they'll discuss the facts, they'll discuss the thing, and then they'll share their opinion and then it's done. Till someone else starts another conversation and then they talk and it's done where women are just weaving in a four or five different conversations, moving and flowing and expressing. It's awesome. It's an amazing thing. Guys, solve a problem, we're done. That's why guy loves, guys love sports. Play, the, play it, they win, someone loses, it's done. All the drama, everything's right there. But women want to watch a miniseries, and it goes on. And it goes deep, and it goes moving. And there's no right and wrong in this, but if you would learn this, we could learn intimacy, which takes trust and time. I'm hoping that in your covenant relationship, you get past level one communication. You get past communication number two. It's important to know the weather, yes. It's important to know certain facts. The car's out of gas again. But then you got to get to level three and start sharing ideas, and hopefully... Time to time, you'll get to a level four of communicating how you feel, what you're expressing. Now, this is the same in your prayer life with Jesus. How many of our prayers are level one prayers? Help, I need your help, fix this, right? Or we'll go to level two, this is how you need to fix it. God, you need to do this, you need to do that. 
then we'll get to a level three. This is how you need to fix it because I just don't understand what's going on and I need your help and I need you to do it by two o'clock today. And every now and then you'll come to the altar in a level four and you'll go, oh God, I don't know what to do. And so then ultimately there's a level five of soul intimacy communication which takes more trust and more time. And I'm hoping in your covenant relationship, you get to a place where you are able to trust your mate with whatever you say, whatever your thought is, even if it seems so ridiculous, you're not afraid to be ridiculed because you know that they're tender and caring, that you're exposing your heart. A level five is just pure, pure, genuine truth talk from soul to soul. You can't stay there. You can't live at a level five. It's too raw. It's too deep. You can't get there every day. You probably can't get there every week with the way life is and activities and all of that. But every now and then, a husband and wife have to get to a level five communication. Sometimes the only way you get there is because you're in a crisis. But wouldn't it be nice to go there without a crisis? And sometimes we do that with God. Sometimes we finally get to a level five. I love level five with God because you hear a download from God. You bore your soul and God gives you a word and it's like, oh, you're changed, you're transformed. And that level of communication is soul intimacy. That's what we've got to develop. Now, you can develop that with friends too and relationships, but most importantly, we've got to get that in our marriages. In a covenant relationship, you've got to be able to get to a level five relationship. Let me express to you the concept of this. It's written in Ecclesiastes. You know this verse. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work, right? Two can get more done than one, right? You divide the weight of something you're carrying, right? Uh, They have a good return for their work. If one falls down, the other can help him up. Right? Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. But pity the fool who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can you keep warm alone? So two people together, you can stay warm. That's, a, that's intimacy, isn't it? All right? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. I got your six. You're back. Right? And so you're watching and you're fighting together. So two, 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 two are better than one. Then he says this. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So why would he shift from two, 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 to a three-strand cord? The Sunday school answer is (laughs) God in your marriage, Jesus in your marriage. But that's actually not the depth of what he's thinking. It's true, a three-strand cord. Scientifically, a three-strand cord is the strongest cord there is. Look it up. Google it. A three-strand cord is very powerful. But he's not saying add someone else to your marriage. And he's not saying put Jesus at the center of your marriage, although he is. What he's actually saying is this. If two people commit to one thing, they become indivincible. 
Do you understand that? That's the two, 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 and the power of two that he's continuing in his thought process. If both of you are 100% committed to one thing, then you'll not be easily broken. So if you are both committed to your covenant, both committed to love each other in reverence to God, both committed to studying the Word of God and serving Jesus Christ, the devil can't get in. So two people committed to one thing. That's why you've got to get to a level five and find out, are we really committed to the same things? Some people find out. Some people raise, have a family. The guy's going off to work. The girl's off to work. They raise kids, got three kids, two kids, raise all the kids. Then they look at the, each other once the kids are married and out of the house, and they're like, who, who are you? Because they haven't maintained the covenant bond of love. Now, let's look at two committed over one thing are stronger. Let's look at the last one, spiritual intimacy. James says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be what? Healed. We need to pray together. In fact, Peter says this about prayer in a marriage. We already heard Paul tell you, stop fooling around every now and then and get to praying. And then after you're done praying, you can go ahead. Okay, that 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, don't get all bent out of shape. The weaker partner is literally the physical aspect of women. Women are physically weaker than men, generally speaking. Generally speaking. All right? And that's not an offense. All right? You should get the same pay for the same jobs, but uh, let's move on. All right? Treat them with respect, the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Again, radical thinking in Judaism, this is Christianity, it changed because now women are equal in the sight of God to the man. But listen to this, so that nothing will what? Yeah, he's saying, men, your prayer life is hindered if you don't treat your wife correctly. If we're not treating each other correctly, our prayer life is being hindered. And therefore, we're not bonding correctly spiritually. So you've bonded physically, you've bonded with your soul, now let's talk about spiritual bonding. I'm just going to give you a real quick little exercise, many of you know this. Let's take a look at, there's you, there's your spouse, there's God. You're all in a relationship together, right? Some of you are married to unsaved people, that's difficult, but it still works for you. Let's say you grow closer to God. What happens as you grow, let's say your, your mate, uh, or you stay the same, your mate grows closer to God. Guess what happens between you? You actually become closer. Because as a person draws closer to God, they will learn to love out of God towards you in a deeper way. What happens if the other person draws near to God too? Then you even get closer if both of you are pursuing God. What happens if you're both on fire for Jesus? Yeah, you're drawing even closer to God and to each other. That's a very simple point, but it works. So, closing. Bonding is essential in covenant. 
How are we going to maintain it? By maintaining our commitment to intimacy through the five laws that I've taught you. That the two become one. Everything you do, emotionally, intellectually, with your bank account, with your money, with your time, with everything you do, it is stewarded as one. Two become one. Why? You were designed to become one. You figured that out sexually. You were made to become one. So you were made to become one in your thinking. You were made to become one in your emotions. You were made to become one that way. And if the self shows up, it becomes what? The enemy of your covenant. And if you're in an argument and one of you wins, what happens? You both lose. What is essential? Love covers our mistakes and our failures. And all of this working together creates intimacy and you desire to spend more time can i say something with you i like being with you guys but my favorite person to be with my wife hands down i spend every minute with her all i want to do is be with her and i trust her more than any of you god bless you all but that's my heart that's my heart why because there's a level of covenant intimacy here and and so that is the truth let me close with this. It's a beautiful story. I finish with an illustration. There's a woman who was very sickly, and she didn't know if she'd ever get a husband. She finally found a man that she loved, and even though she was sick and often confined to bed and often confined to a chair, this man loved her because she was a poet and he was a poet, and they did know it. And uh, I went for it anyway. And they would write each other. And this man fell in love with this woman's soul. And they eventually got married. And they were so in love. There were many times he would have to go do lectures. And, and she would stay home. And they were separated for a time. And they would write to each other. And the level of intimacy in their writing and in their communication. Many of their communications were at level four and level five. It was deep. They were both Christians, spiritually motivated to love each other. And yes, they had a physical aspect of within their marriage. You know that it's Elizabeth Barrett Browning and Robert Browning, both poets. And of course, she wrote a personal letter to herself in her memoirs, and it got published. It's a poem, How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways. So it's an exercise in love. And I think this expresses covenant love beautifully. So I'm going to exegete this poem like I would scripture. And so let me conclude with this and help you understand what this woman is sensing in the depth of her love. She's contemplating, hmm, how do I love him? How do I love you? I'm going to count the ways. I'm going to take an inventory of my soul. I'm going to count the ways. I love you um, to the depth to the breadth, to the height that my soul can reach. In other words, wherever my soul has expanded in thought and in emotion and in intellect, my love for you is there. doesn't matter where I go in the universe of my soul, I find love for you there. When feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace, in other words, she's reaching her soul to the end of her identity and being, 
she finds in her soul a love for her mate. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. In other words, from morning when the sun gets up to candlelight when the sun goes down. I love you to the level of every day's most quiet need. What is, what is a day's most quiet need? The most important need is to breathe. What she means by a quiet need is it's not spoken. You don't have to remind it. I breathe. My heart beats. It's an unspoken, it's a quiet need. Look at it. If your heart doesn't beat, it's over. So she's saying, to the end of my physical sense of, of a heart beating and me breathing, I love you to the desperate level that I have to breathe and have a heart. My, your love equals a breath and a heartbeat for me. I love you freely as men strive for right. Men will fight for justice. Men will fight for right. I love you purely as they turn from praise. They'll do it in humility. They don't need to be uh, an accolade. They don't need to be praised. But men will want justice and fight wars for things to be right. And she says, I'll love you freely. I'll fight for our love. I don't have to be coerced over it. I'll love you purely. I don't need you to uh -uh, say, wow, you love me great. I will love you without any praise. That's how I'm going to love you. I love thee with the passion put to use in my grief and with my childhood's faith. In other words, there are times I've been so sad and grieving and weeping, and, and I'll, I love you with that same level of passion. I grieve over you when I miss you. When I don't see you, I have that much grief, and I have a childhood faith that I need you. I love you with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. In other words, I remember Granny. She was so sweet. My favorite grandma. I loved her. And boy, do I weep thinking of her. But the love I have for Grandma can't compare for the love I have for you. Or any of my other lost loved ones that I've lost. I love you with the breath, the smile, the tears of all my life. Every smile I have ever smiled belongs to you. Every tear I have ever cried has the warmth on my cheeks of tears for you. I'm giving you every tear, every smile, and every breath I've ever taken. I give to you. And last of all, if God choose, I shall but love you better after death. Because there'll be no hindrance to my body no hindrance in time or in space. I will love you purely and completely with no limitations. That's covenant love. 